Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 2. 2 Corinthians, chapter 2. We're going to read together there as we go through this book of the Bible. And I always love for you to open your Bible. Some of you use your app or your phone for that as well, but I love you to follow along in God's Word. Let's read 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, beginning with verse 14, as we talk about the fragrance of Christ. Let's read together there. The Bible says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma of life leading to life, who is adequate for these things. For we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. Well, let's know what the Bible teaches us here as we talk about the fragrance of Christ. We're to be, the Bible says, the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of Christ in this world. And uh, I want to give you some interesting facts about fragrance and the ability to smell. Are you ready for some interesting facts about the fragrance, about fragrance and the ability to smell? Number one. Bloodhounds have noses up to 100 million times more sensitive than a human. Did you know that? I read it in Wikipedia, so it's got to be true. Grizzly bears have a sense of smell seven times stronger than a bloodhound. Did you know that? And can detect the scent of food 18 miles away. Number three, a junior high boy can spend an entire week at camp without taking a shower by using Axe body spray. Did you know that? All true stories. Well, let's talk about the fragrance of Christ because the Bible says we're to be the fragrance of Christ. Of course, it's talking about more than the aroma or the fragrance. It's talking about our influence for Christ and people being able to see the Lord in us. And so let's note some principles about this as we think about how to spread the gospel. God wants us to spread the gospel. It's all throughout the pages of the Bible. And in this book of 2 Corinthians, we're going to see that again and again, how God wants to use us to make a difference in this world for his glory and how God wants to use people like us to share the gospel with others. So let's talk about six ways we spread the gospel. And if you're a note taker, you can write these down. Or if you're watching online, you can write that down where you are. The church app has that on it as well. Number one, we spread the promise of victory. We spread the promise of victory. Let's go to verse 14. The Bible says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. So the Bible is describing here God leading us in Christ's triumphal procession. The triumphal procession is on behalf of our Savior, upon Christ who's, who's uh, in the procession. It's about Him. And God is leading us in that. We're involved in it. We could almost picture, I'm sure, the church at Corinth as they heard these words. And God, under the inspiration of the, God's writing this, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I mean, through Paul, but the church at Corinth is hearing these words. And I, I, I would imagine they would think, about a Roman general who would, like, after some campaign in Rome, had just taken over the world at that time. And battle after battle, they win. And general after general gets brought back to Rome to lead a triumphal procession there. And that general will lead the army on a horse or on a, in a chariot, and there's behind him the army and maybe the vanquished foe behind him. 
And they would picture this conquering general. And the Bible says the Lord Jesus is for us this, he's leading this triumphal procession. And we are reminded of who the Lord is. We're reminded of his great power and his great strength. In fact, if you take extra notes beyond the notes, you could write this down. We can have victory through Jesus. We can have victory through Jesus. The Bible says, thanks be to God. He's the one who gives the victory. Who leads us? We're involved in the victory. And it's in Christ's triumphal procession. He's the one who provides the victory for us. And we spread this promise of victory. We can have victory through Jesus. Now, I want you to know something. You don't have to live in defeat. Did you know that? Now, I'm telling you, many people who name the name of Christ are living defeated lives, but you don't have to. We don't have to live in defeat to our past or to our problems. We don't have to live in defeat to those. So if you bring to this place a past, if you bring problems with you, you don't have to live in defeat to those things. In fact, the Bible says we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. We don't even have to be defeated by sin itself. Not even death can defeat us because Christ has given us the promise of victory. He's already promised our victory. He's already promised it. And we can have victory through Christ, not by our own merit. May I point this out? It's not that we're leading the triumphal procession because God somehow saw us and said, oh my goodness, you're so perfect and you're, you've got the act together so much. No, we're the broken ones. We've all sinned against God. We have this terrible need. Christ is the means by which we have the victory. God is the one who gives us the victory. We are involved in the victory, so we don't have to live defeated lives. Now, I say that knowing that many people who name the name of Christ are living defeated lives. They're living defeated lives, and they've never overcome their past. They've never found God's strength in overcoming their problems. They're living defeated yet by sins from their past. But God is able to give us victory, and that comes through Christ. Christ paid the debt for us on the cross and is the means by which we can be forgiven so that we can become, the Bible says, slaves to the Lord, and may I say even more than that, also adopted into his family, and more than that, even ambassadors in his work in this world. We'll see all of that as we work our way through this book of the Bible. And I want you to know the victory you can have. Many Christians are living defeated lives, and they don't have to. N not because Christians have the abilities and talents in and of themselves to just overcome the past, but because Christ is so powerful and so great and so loving and so merciful and so kind. He is able to give you victory in life. And he's able to give you ultimate victory one day in heaven, but he's also able to give you a life worth living in this day and age. And so the Bible says we spread the gospel through the promise of victory. We tell people the victory they can have in Christ. They don't have to be defeated by sin. They don't have to be defeated by their past. They don't have to live in perpetual victimhood. We can find victory in Jesus Christ, and I am so thankful for that. There's a second way we spread the gospel, and we spread the knowledge of Jesus. Would you write that down? We spread the knowledge of Jesus. So verse 14 says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession, and through us, spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. So God is the one who's spreading the aroma of the knowledge of Jesus, but he does it through us. 
He doesn't have to use us, of course. God is capable of doing all that needs to be done without us. But God wants to use us. He invites us. We can participate in the work God is doing. Through us, God spreads the aroma of the knowledge of Jesus in every place. He uses us as a means by which people learn about Jesus. The stories, the benefits, the promises the power, the provision of Jesus. We can spread the knowledge of Christ. We face this central question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I tell you, there's no greater question for you to answer in life. Who is Jesus? Is he just a man? Is he just a prophet? Is he just a moral example? I've been in a few places in the world where um, I have met people who had never heard the name of Jesus. What a privilege to be able to tell people about Jesus, to tell them about God's provision for us, that God loved us so much that he sent his son into this world to live for us, to die on the cross for us, to rise from the grave for us. But I'll tell you, it's not the only, even though there are places where in our world left where people have never heard the name of Jesus, there are many who live right in our region and in this community who have never really understood who Jesus is. They go to your schools and they work at your jobs and they sometimes live in your families and they don't know who Jesus is. And they say something like, he, you know, maybe he's just like a good teacher. But good teachers, if that's all they are, I need something more than a good teacher. I'm thankful for good teachers, but I need something more than that. I need a savior. And if Jesus is not a savior, if he's just a good teacher and he's not able to save us, then He's not even really a good teacher because he claims to be the way by which we can have everlasting life, the means by which we can be forgiven of sins. And so who is Jesus? Is he just a moral example? I am thankful for the moral example of Jesus. I need to see his example. But if all he is is a moral example, well, I need more than that. I need someone who can change the trajectory of my life, who can bring me from lostness to salvation from death to life and so if jesus is who the bible claims him to be that god loves this broken world and he sent his son jesus into this world that jesus lived the life that none of us could live that perfect life and jesus was therefore worthy to die the death that we all deserve because we have sinned against god and he was able to provide the miracle that we need the resurrection. If Jesus is, if that's who Jesus is, if he is who he claims to be, then that changes everything. And so we want to spread the knowledge of Jesus. We want to spread the knowledge of Jesus. We want people to know who Jesus is and what he wants and what he's about and what he says, and what his purposes are and God's plan for our world. If you're an extra note taker, would you write this down? People need to know about Jesus. People need to know about Jesus. They need more than just religion. They need more than just moral reform. People need Jesus, the only one who can save and the only one who can forgive and the only one who can change lives in eternity. People need to know about Jesus. Church, let's be a church that points people to Jesus. We're pointing beyond ourselves. We're pointing beyond our church, beyond our, our religious activity. We want people to know Christ to know Jesus, to know him crucified, to know his resurrection, to know his power and his truth. There's a third principle I'd like you to note as we think about ways to spread the gospel. 
we spread the reminder of judgment. Now let's go to a little unpopular subject for a minute. We spread the reminder of judgment. Judgment's not like really high on the list of favorite topics for people to hear preached upon. It's not the most uh, enjoyable subject for the average person to listen to, especially not in our culture and age. But verse 15 says this, for to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. And we say, yes, we'll talk about that in a moment, but also among those who are perishing. The Bible says perishing. And so the Bible says we're either saved or we're perishing. Verse 16, to some we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others an aroma of life leading to life. Now we'll talk about the life leading to life in a moment, but the Bible tells us we are spreading the reminder of judgment among those who are perishing. We're an aroma of death leading to death. So we're telling people the truth that God judges sin that sin has consequences, that if we got, may I say it as boldly as this, apart from God's grace and God's mercy. Now, I'm thankful for God's grace and mercy, and we'll talk about it in a moment. But listen, we'll never understand the good news of the gospel if we don't see the bad news of the gospel. We are all sinners. We are broken. We are fallen, and we are needy. And the hope of eternity is not our goodness because it's we're already past that. We could never reach the holiness of God who is perfect because we've already sinned against God. And there are consequences to our sin. And as much as we might not like it, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We're separated from God by our sin. God is holy and we are not. And if we got what we deserved, apart from God's grace and God's mercy and God's love, we would spend, by a just God, we would justly be judged and we would spend eternity justly separated from God in hell for eternity. If, I just, if you just take out the love of God, his, his grace and his mercy, and I just got the merits of my actions, I would be separated from God because I'm a sinner. Listen, that's a, I, it's a hard one for us because we want to say that our culture wants to say there's no sin and, it, and if there is sin, it's no big deal and it doesn't really matter. And the Bible says it's a kills us. It destroys us. The goal of the enemy is not your pleasure, but your destruction. The aim of sin is not for your good, but for your death. And so if you're a note taker, you might write this down. Sin separates us from holy God. Sin separates us from holy God. So I don't know if any of you military types here have been to Hickam Air Force Base, but it's in Hawaii near Pearl Harbor. And um, I mean, I it's nice, I guess. I mean, it's not, you know, Scott or anything, but I mean, it's, you know, it's got a, its own charms, I suppose, there in Hawaii. So some years ago, my wife and I got to go to Hawaii, and um, we were on Hickam Air Force Base with some military types, and, and as, as we're driving along on the base, someone, one of the, the guy who was with us showed us one of the older buildings that was there during the days of um, World War II, during the days of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and he showed us they still had bullet holes in some of the old buildings. They had left. I mean, they repaired most things, obviously, from the days of Pearl Harbor, but they had left some of the marks. I don't know if it's still there now. This was some years ago, but they had the marks of the battle from all of those years before, and it was a reminder to everybody on the base. It was a reminder this war is always a danger. There's always the danger of an enemy. 
is the reminder, I mean, a pretty stark reminder that we need to be always prepared. The Bible is warning us of the danger of sin. It, it doesn't like hide this from us. Our culture wants to hide it, redefine it, pretend it away. But God loves you too much for that. And so he tells you the truth. You'll never get to the good news unless you see the bad news. We are separated from God by our sin. And it's not just like a little small thing we can ignore, but it is a reminder that there's an enemy who wants our defeat and our destruction and our death. I'm not going to stop there. There's a fourth one. I'm glad, aren't you glad there's a fourth part to this? We spread the hope of life. Here's how we spread the gospel. We spread the hope of life. So let's go back to verse 15. We, for to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved as well as those who are perishing. I want to talk about that salvation. God wants you to have salvation, not just reform, not just religion, not just try harder, but salvation. Verse 16 says, to some we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others an aroma of life leading to life. So we spread the hope of life. I said there's good news. The bad news is we're separated from God. The good news is God has done something about this problem. The bad news is sin is a terrible problem. The good news is Christ is bigger than our sin. There's grace that can be ours. If you're an extra note taker, you could write this. We can be forgiven and have life eternal and abundant. We can be forgiven and have life eternal and abundant. We can be saved. The Bible says we need to be saved. Some of you maybe have never understood that. Maybe you thought the goal of God is just for you to try a little bit harder and sort of reform, but you can't just reform to, salvate, to perfection. You need salvation. Only Christ can forgive our sins. Only Christ can pay the penalty. We have our own penalty. The cross was Jesus, the only one who lived a perfect life, dying the death that should have been ours. He died in our place for our sins. And the miracle of the resurrection means we can have the miracle of forgiveness. You can be forgiven of sins. God tells the truth about sin because he loves you and he wants to point you to the truth that you can be forgiven because Jesus paid the price. Not because you worked hard enough, not because you were so good and religious, but because Jesus paid the price on the cross and you can be forgiven of the penalty of sin. And through that, you can have life, eternal life, the home your soul is longing for. Always, this, you'll never be satisfied, Christian. Those of you who know Christ, you'll never be satisfied with this world. And may I say, those of you who don't know Christ, who've never been saved, you're never going to be quite satisfied. The goal of life is more than just power, pleasure, things. You'll never be satisfied with those ultimately. Haven't you seen enough of people who have those things to see how dissatisfied they can be with them? But Christ can forgive you, and you need salvation. And even today, you could, get, you could be saved. You could give your life to Christ. And when we pray in a few minutes, I'm praying you'll give your life to Christ. I'm praying if you've just depended upon your goodness or religion or your background or your niceness, that you will find that Christ can save you, and he can forgive you, and he can give you eternal life and abundant life, a life worth living in this world. God doesn't just care about one day. He cares about this day. There's a, uh, a fifth principle I'd like you to know. We spread the truth, though inadequate. We spread, spread the truth, though inadequate. So the, so the Bible says at the end of verse 16, who is adequate for these things? Who is adequate for these things? Well, you might say, Paul ought to be adequate, right? Well, and Paul is like an incredible minister of the gospel. I mean, unbelievable. He started churches. He saw people come to Christ in large numbers? I mean, Paul said, wait a second. 
You think I'm, I'm adequate? Do you remember John the Baptist in the New Testament? Do you know that story? Did you know Jesus said about John the Baptist? He said, no man born of a woman, which is a big percentage, let me just say that. No man born of a woman, he said, is greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said about Jesus, I'm not worthy to get down on my knees and loosen his sandal. That's, a, that's too big a privilege for me to be worthy. And if John the Baptist said that, and if Paul said who was adequate for these things, do you think the people who spread the gospel or somehow like they're worthy and you're not? Can I just tell you the truth? Is, it's none of us worthy. None of us. We don't serve God because we're worthy. He is the one who's worthy. He's the one who's worthy. And he uses people like us to accomplish his purposes. But he's the one who's worthy. I, I, I guess I knew this truth when I was young. I gave my life to Christ when I was young. I knew the truth that it wasn't my goodness that saved me, but God's goodness, the goodness of Jesus was the means by which I could be saved. It wasn't my works that could save me, but the work Jesus did for me on the cross, that's the means by which I could be forgiven. I knew that. I knew it wasn't something I deserved. Grace wasn't something I earned. It was something that God gave out of his deep love. But I, I, I knew that in theory, but I, I kind of, um, to my great surprise, I was called to uh, preach, to my great surprise, to the surprise of my mom and dad, to the surprise of my three brothers. My three brothers will be here in two weeks. That is going to be the longest sermon you have ever heard preached in the history of preaching. That we, they, need, they need preaching. But they were very surprised that I would be called to preach, and I, no one more surprised than me. And uh, early in my seminary education. Some of you have heard me tell the story. It's so impactful for my life. And early in my seminary education, I had a preaching class, and I, I preached in the class. And some of the students said, it, you know, it wasn't that great. It wasn't that great. And, you know, some things about your preaching you could do better. And I, you know, just it felt so heavy on me. And I went back to our little apartment there in Fort Worth, and my wife was at work, and I was by myself, and I just cried, you know, God, why would you call me to do something I can't do? And I just tell you, it was one of the times God used that in my life to remind me he didn't call me because he was short on talent, right? He didn't call me because he was short on talent. He wasn't saying, oh, boy, if we could just get mutton, you know, boy, everything would tip the scales now. No, no, not at all. He wanted me to be available to him, whatever he wanted in my life, for my life. If you're a note taker, could just maybe you just write this down. The truth is communicated through imperfect people. The truth is communicated through imperfect people. Now, there's not a life group teacher we have in our church who's perfect on their own merit, not one. I hope that doesn't disillusion you. No pastor who has ever preached in this place who has been perfect. And for that matter, We've never had anyone sitting in our pews who is perfect. The truth is communicated. The perfect truth is communicated through imperfect people. The perfect truth about the perfect Savior is communicated through imperfect people like us. Your life group teachers, in fact, you yourself, 
imperfect people. God doesn't wait for us to get perfect and say, you know, when you get perfect, then I'll have you share the gospel. He calls every believer to be an ambassador for him, knowing full well that we are imperfect. The only kind of people God uses are imperfect people because it's the only kind of people he has. Now, he perfectly forgives and he perfectly empowers and he perfectly calls, but God does the work through imperfect people like us. And we are all inadequate. Who is adequate for these things? If we're not worthy to loosen the sandals of Jesus, we're not worthy to be the vehicle by which people hear the message of the gospel. But God makes us the vehicle. God uses us as the vehicle for people to hear the message of the gospel. He has placed you in that job for a reason, Christian. He's put you in that family for a reason. You're in that school for a purpose. God wants to use you knowing full well how imperfect you are to communicate the perfect message of Jesus, the perfect message about a perfect Savior who perfectly uses imperfect people like us. And so we spread the truth, though inadequate. We are not saying as a church we're a perfect church, quite the contrary. We recognize that everyone in our church is imperfect, but we are serving a perfect Savior who perfectly forgives, who perfectly saves, and who is perfectly capable of using imperfect people like us. And I'm thankful for that. I find some strength in that. It is not dependent just upon our ability or talent or our winsomeness or how fast we can talk and Heaven knows I can talk really fast, but God, God does the work through people like us. He doesn't have to use any of us, but he wants to use people like us. In fact, can I just tell you, God in heaven wants to use you. He wants to use you. And I'm reminded that he uses people like us all the time, and he wants to use more people like us, including people exactly like us, because God wants to use you and me to accomplish his purposes. There's a, a sixth principle I'd like you to know. We spread the message with sincerity, with sincerity. Let's go to verse 17. The Bible says, for we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. So we're not saying, you know, what's in it for me? You know, I'm going to use the word of God as a means by which I can just bless myself. You know, listen, we have all kinds of blessings from God, but the purpose of blessings is not just to be blessed. We don't just get blessings from God in order to accumulate blessings. It's always for a greater purpose. We're blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to bless. And the Bible says, we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ. Man, note here that he's saying the motive for what we do matters, not just the action. Now, God, of course, wants us to have the right actions, but God always cares about motives. He cares about why you do what you do. And God wants you to do the right thing, but he also wants you to do the right thing for the right reasons. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. So he's saying, we're going to, Paul's saying, I want to speak God's word. It's from God. But I'm also standing before God. And this is an awesome responsibility. And so I don't take lightly the responsibility God has called me to be saying of being an ambassador. Now, an ambassador is for every believer. We'll see as we go through this book of the Bible that every believer has this responsibility. We are to be the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of Christ in our jobs and in our schools and in our families. God wants us to be that, but we do it with sincerity. 
if you're a note taker, write this. A genuine, sincere heart is the best motive for sharing the gospel. A genuine, sincere heart is the best motive for sharing the gospel. God uses all kinds of personalities, all kinds of gifts and backgrounds, but God cares deeply that our hearts be sincere, that our actions be genuine and real. That's the best motive for sharing the gospel. The other day, my wife, uh, not long ago, she got from one of the kids a uh, hummingbird feeder. And, you know, hummingbirds are amazing little birds. They're just amazing. They, they, they travel such long distances to come here. Um, incredibly high metabolism. And so the kids got her, one of the daughters and son, sons-in-law got a, a hummingbird feeder, and it looks like a little flower. It's a fake flower, but it looks like a flower, and, and the hummingbird goes in. But it's designed so you put that on the window, and when the bird gets used to it, then you can use another one like it and, to, and feed the hummingbird from your hand. So my wife, you know, put it out with a little sugar water that they give you, and, you, and she would, the hummingbird started coming regular occasions, a, a little they're all little, a little female and a little male. And they got used to that for a while. And then she went out, she, she kind of uh, sat down, she got a green blanket to put over her. I don't know, she was really into this. And held out her hand, you know, for a long time. The hummingbird would come to the one on the window and eventually the hummingbird came right to her hand and fed out of the little fake flower with the sugar water from her real hand, you know, right, right there. She could feel the wind from the little wings and hear the hum of the wings and it just she loved it she was she was so excited and happy and joyful she told us all about it great detail just man when you experience the presence and power of the lord it's not something you keep to yourself it's unnatural for us who know christ as savior to keep it to ourselves it's unnatural god wants to use people like us as a means by which others hear the gospel. God wants you with the sincerity of your heart. Aren't you grateful for what God has done in your life, Christian? How he would save you and forgive you and cleanse you and make you a new person. And out of that genuine gratitude for God to want other people to come to hear the message of the gospel itself, maybe God placed you in that job, in that school, in your family, along the course of life, because he wants to use you to be the fragrance of Christ that people would see Christ in you and see something of the hope that Christ has given this broken, fallen world. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. And as we pray, I, I want to just say a word to those of you who would say, I'm not sure I've ever been saved. You've been maybe religious, you've been good, but the Bible says religion itself can never save us. Goodness can never save us. It can't change the fact that we've sinned against God. The Bible tells us we need to be saved. We need to be born again, to use the words of Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you're a sinner who needs to be saved, I want to ask you today to give your life to Christ. The Bible tells us to repent of our sins, to turn from it, to place our faith, our trust in Christ who died for us and rose from the grave for us, and to receive him as Savior. And right where you are today, would you give your life to Christ? Will you ask him to save you? Will you trust him for salvation? And he'll save you. And Christian, I want, I want you to consider what Jesus said here, that you're, you're to be the fragrance of Christ, that God made you, saved you, and wants to use you to be the fragrance of Christ. God wants you to be an influence in the lives of others. Would you say, God, I want 
people to see Christ in me. I want to be an influence for the message of, of the gospel. Use me. You're the one who saves. You're the one who forgives. But Lord, you want to use me. And so as imperfect as I am, I want to say yes to you. Open my eyes to opportunities. Help me to show Christ by how I act, by the motives behind the actions, by the sincerity of my heart. Help people to be able to see Christ in me. And Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you for the truth. I want to thank you for the fragrance of Christ that you allow us to participate in and that we can share with others. And I pray, Father, you'll use this in our lives to make us more like Christ and to make a difference in this world for you and to bring honor and glory to you. Lord, I'm praying for people who need to be saved, maybe some who even this very day have trusted you as Savior. Would you draw them to yourself and help them to grow in faith? And I'm praying for Christians. I'm praying for our church as a whole to care about lost people, to care about people who don't know you as Savior. Help us not to grow jaded about the needs of the gospel. Help us not to grow complacent, not just not just to focus on what's in it for us when it comes to the message of the gospel, but to love other people, to care about those who aren't here yet, and to share the good news of the gospel. Lord, help us to have that spirit, that heart, because that's the heart of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.